I had never before beheld one killed by pestilence. While every mind was full of dismay at its effects, a craving for excitement had led us to peruse Defoe's account. But cold were the sensations, excited by words, burning though they were, and describing the death and misery of thousands, compared to what I felt in looking on the corpse of this unhappy stranger. This indeed was the plague. I raised his limbs, I marked the distortion of his face, and the stony eyes lost to perception. As I was thus occupied, chill horror congealed my blood, making my flesh quiver and my hair to stand on end. Half insanely, I spoke to the dead. So plague killed you, I muttered. How came this? Was this coming painful? You look as if the enemy had you tortured. According to the vulgar superstitions, my dress, my person, the air I breathed, bore in it now mortal dangers to myself and others. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Friday, December 10th, 2021. And though you may have been having a whamageddon with your friends this month, here at the book club this past season, it's been all apocalypse. Not a last Christmas, but a last man. The Last Man is an apocalyptic dystopian science fiction novel by Mary Shelley that was first published in 1826. The book describes a future Earth at the time of the late 21st century, ravaged by an unknown pandemic that quickly sweeps across the world. It also includes a discussion of English culture as a republic, with Mary Shelley sitting in meetings of the House of Commons to gain an insight into the governmental political system of the Romantic era. Within the novel, she dedicates it highly to her husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, who drowned in a shipwreck four years before the book's publication. It was also dedicated to her dear friend, Lord Byron, who adored the Greek Isles and was eventually the place of his death. Interwoven with her futuristic theme, Mary Shelley incorporates ideal, idealized portraits of Shelley and Byron, yet rejects romanticism and its faith in art and nature. The Last Man was severely suppressed at the time. It was not until the 1960s that the novel resurfaced for the public as a work of fiction, not prophecy. The Last Man is one of the first pieces of dystopian fiction published. The Last Man not only laments the loss of Shelley's friends, but also questions the romantic political ideals for which they stood. In a sense, the plague is metaphorical, since the revolutionary idol of the elite group is corroded from within by flaws of human nature. Uh, as literary scholar Kerry Locke writes in its refusal to place humanity at the center of the universe, it's questioning our privileged position in relation to nature. Then the last man constitutes a profound and prophetic challenge to Western humanism. Specifically, Mary Shelley, in making reference to the failure of the French Revolution and the Godwinian and Wollstonecraftian and Burkean responses to it, attacks enlightenment faith in the inevitability of progress through collective efforts. 
Hello guys, I didn't proofread my intro very well, um, but uh, those are some thoughts various people on Wikipedia had about The Last Man. How's everyone doing tonight? Very good. Excellent. Wonderful. Great. So, Azor, um, I'm sure you've read Frankenstein before. What was your experience with The Last Man and how did you feel about it? Um, uh, yeah, it took a long time to read it relatively because I was, uh, um, I wasn't, I wasn't reading it in my normal way where I would, uh, just devote myself to the one book and and try to read it as, as quickly as I could. I was just reading it on my kind of off hours and reading other things in the same time. So, uh, so it took quite a long time to read and I don't know if I did it full justice reading it in that way um, because I just I actually just finished it um, uh, yesterday and I read a big chunk of it all in one stretch yesterday and I, I liked it a lot better when I read it like that you know um, so I, I think uh, I don't know I think I, I, I should have I should have devoted more time to it, you know, like, uh, but do you think it's, it's on par with Frankenstein? Um, it's been a, it's been a quite a long time since I've read Frankenstein. I remember really liking it. Uh, it's, um, there's a difference between Frankenstein as such a, uh, uh, concise and exciting text to read, like a short, short work. Whereas this is much longer and it stretches out and encompasses so much more, um, so I don't I uh, I don't know I, do, I don't I don't see that they can be compared in that way you know I don't, I, I I probably I would I would agree that I that I'd like Frankenstein better but um, but this I don't know I like this a lot too in a, in a way. On Wikipedia, you know, they were saying that the novel kind of dudded out for a while. Why did they think that it was not a novel and that it was prophecy? Yeah, that's weird. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't come across. So it had everything to do with that very first chapter. What did you make of that? So, like, before you actually enter into the thing... Do you remember where? Yeah, yeah, that's. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I liked so, it, but it was strange. Um. So. Uh. Do you want? Do you want to just say what it was? So. So it was. Sure. Like, uh, what? This. This is an actual thing that happened. Um. Mary Shelley, and I guess Shelley, the poet, and I think her, her sister or half sister Claire, um, visited. Um. Sybil's cave, yeah, um, the command Sybil in Naples, just outside of Naples, and this is supposed to be on the 8th of December, 1818. Um, and they actually they actually made that trip, but in this introduction, it says that that's basically where she discovered the leaves that end up being this novel, um, which is the account of uh, uh, what's his name. Lionel. Lionel, Verney. Lionel Verney, yeah. Um, so this whole account, according to this first introductory chapter, is um, 
appeared on these leaves of prophecy that come from Sybil's cave. But obviously, um, yeah, it, it, this reads as if it's a history of what we would say future events. So it's um, it's not written, if it is prophecy, it's not written in the same way as uh, Nostradamus or something would be written, which would be about what's going to happen in the future. This is written as if it had already happened. Um, so, but uh, then at the end, we realize it's an account by Lionel Verney, the last man. Right? Yeah, I think that was pretty clear from the beginning, right? I th it wasn't that just clear? Like, that's that's on the back of my book explaining where it's the explaining that part. I, I don't um, like that's not hidden from the reader. No, no. I, so it's it's interesting that there's like these two devices going on where one is Mary Shelley saying, here's this, here I'm tapping into the future. So that's the thing. It's an interesting part, right? Like, so what, what does it mean by prophecy? I was just reading in, um, just reading Plutarch actually recently. And of course he was a, he was a high priest at the uh, Oracle of Delphi. And in his writings, it says also that uh, um, that's how prophecy works. Is it's it's a it's a impression of the past and the future all at once. Um, and so I I guess I guess this would be uh, this would fit. You know that that you would find maybe an account like almost as if it's an historical or autobiographical account of things that happen in the future um, well so i didn't really speak to the the plot or what happens in the book could you for listeners and sj just give us a bare bones summary of who these people are and, and why we should care um okay um yeah so the guy is named uh lionel verney he's the narrator and he basically is the son of a man who was a very good friend of the king of England at the time. And the time is right the last, well, at that time, it's like the last few decades of the 20th century, uh, 21st century. Um, and the 2180s or? Yeah, I guess like when, when his father was a young man, at least, right? Like, um, so his father kind of falls out of favor, especially with the queen. I think he, he, he's a gambler and piles up all these debts and has other scandals. Um, so he's basically uh, cast out of uh, um, sophisticated or elite society. And then he, he goes up into rural England and marries a peasant woman and has two kids by her. He ends up dying and then the two kids are basically orphaned. And so it's the story of this, um, his son and his daughter. And eventually they, they are taken in by the son of the last king. The king, uh, the monarchy in the meanwhile is, has been deposed and England has turned into a republic. And so, um, this guy who is Adrian, the Earl of Windsor, um, he takes in Lionel Verney and his sister Perdita, 
and they became they become members of this elite society and so um that story goes on for quite a long time in the in the book like the story of of their life in in england living at windsor windsor castle and then um it isn't really until the uh what volume two or the or the end of volume two where the the actual plague starts um and then the rest of the novel is just <laughs> devastation like global devastation of this of this plague which ends up killing off everyone except lionel vernie at the very end who he does get it right and then he recovers but he most recovers people, yeah that's right uh, but he might be the only one that gets it and recovers yeah that's an interesting part about it um but meanwhile this the the, the book takes in um takes in international wars and political intrigue and storms at sea and and of course the the plague and, <laughs> and heartbreak and jealousy and everything is is in this book you know it's like a uh, well it's nice that the dystopian tropes are there so there's like the doomsday cult at the end and so there's a there's a new dystopian show that was written or book it was a book in 2013 and people were reading it after um the pandemic because it was kind of similarly eerie but it's called station 11 and they were turning it into a tv sh show as the p pandemic was beginning and so um it it also I, I wonder if sometimes these things are informed by you know what came before because like the other thing i noticed was it was just lionel and the shaggy dog towards the end and that made made me think of I think there's the Omega Man, or it's a Will Smith movie. What is that? Um, what is that? You know, it's like the zombie apocalypse, but it's just him and this dog. So, I, yeah. I mean, all that stuff came from the early synchromistic movie-watching days where we're watching all these films to see how they connect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised this get this this gets called um, dystopic. Like, I, maybe there's a broad um, inclusive definition for that, but it, it, I, to my mind, like dystopia is something like uh, 1984 or Brave New World, where where it's the opposite of a utopia. It's a utopia is like a a perfect society, and uh, and something like 1984 is like a, a really sort of hellish hellish state system, but this is not Listen. really it's not really yeah. describing like a uh uh dystopic state or something it's it's definitely apocalyptic but i i'm surprised that it gets called dystopic interesting you're right oh i mean so like uh there was one scene where i mean that was part of it where it seemed like uh as people were moving from one place to another you know and it seemed like the people in the the place where they were coming to were nervous about them coming there like there was a scene where maybe it was a bunch of irish people on a boat or something the boat is sinking and it seemed very vivid in my mind as this like they didn't know what they were doing and this they all sink and die oh and, and the, the, yeah then there's that whole that whole part where the uh um ireland and then eventually scotland and england get in, 
invaded by these uh, Americans who flee from <laughs> North America. These <laughs> barbarian <laughs> Americans are coming in. <laughs> Finally, uh, there's al- there's almost a huge battle, and Adrian steps in the middle of it and and uh, and, and brings peace. <laughs> so, for me, that what was hard is, I mean. That first volume, you really had to buy into these characters so that you can follow them through this kind of devastation, you know, as far, mm-hmm. you know, you, so you needed to, but it, the beginning was kind of slow for me as far as, you know, it's like, um, it was strange because I noticed this, I was also reading Frankenstein, she definitely has a kind of a voice in both of those books where the narrator there's a distance between us and him and the action. It's not like we're ever really in the action. There are times when we are, but usually, you know, he is always um, mediating the action to us and it doesn't feel as immediate as, you know, like um, it, it, he definitely feels like he's mediating the action. And so I always felt like there was a distance between me and what was going on, especially in in The Last Man. But then the other interesting thing is that, you know, this was definitely like a perspective from the upper class. You know, so like we're the former, well, the king's son that's supposed to be yeah. the king. And, right. you know, the whole time they're always flirting with him, maybe becoming the king again. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. There's sort of um, like that sort of distance is is becomes explained because he's, of course, he's. I, I guess he's writing this in Rome, you know, like he's writing this in Rome when he's all alone at the very end. Um, so he's looking back at his whole life. Um, so there's that kind of distance involved in it. He's he's really writing it for. He doesn't even know whoever might be around <laughs> you know um but there was something symbolic about well i think there was a lot of symbolism here um like where where he went you know so like it there was this was telling the story of civilization civilization mm-hmm. where how he ended up in rome it's almost like we witnessed this thing backwards where it went from Rome to England, you know, as the height of civilization. And then it returned, he returned back to Rome in the end. Yeah. I noticed that too. Like the whole, um, the, the time scheme of this is really interesting and, and bizarre in a way. Like, um, even when, uh, what's his name? Lord, uh, the Lord Byron character, Raymond, Lord Raymond, he ends up going to Greece and fighting the Turks, which is what uh, Lord Byron did as well. Um, but it's written as if it's it's like a continuation of the of the Trojan War almost, you know. Um, and so it's like the whole society, although it's supposed to be at the end of the of this century, 21st century, it's still pre-industrial. Right. The only technology they have is like these balloons, hot air balloons. <laughs> yeah. It's like they have steamships, I guess, but that's a, that's about it. There's no, there's no. It's still pre-industrial, um, and and beyond that, it's almost as if it's like uh, it's 
it's pre-medieval. It's almost like a, a classical civilization in a, in a sense. Um, so it's almost, I got the sense of it. Um, I really thought of Ada by Nabokov. So did I. <laughs> yeah. Which was written about the, it, 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 what did I write down? It's, it's like this was the future, but it's taking, it's the past. And the, the other one was, um, it's, a, it's a parallel earth the, or something. Yeah. It, it was in the past, but it was futurist a futuristic past with the with the little hang gliding things and the electricity and all the different things. Yeah, and it, and it, I, but it I has the same sort of oh, go ahead. Real quick, I just uh, this was it kind of blew my mind when I had seen this, but Ada Lovelace was Lord Byron's daughter and she's credited with writing the first computer program. In the in the 19th century, that's what she's famous for—the first computer programmer. And so that's a strange synchronicity. If you're talking about Ada, the name Ada, and we're we're talking about Frankenstein being a um, this kind of birth of a monster, you know. Uh, and in this one movie, just quickly, and I'll throw it back to you. There's kind of this seance where they resurrect this monster in the film Gothic. That's a big part of the plot. It's just so strange to me that we've got to come to the, the, the matriarch of computer programming is issue of Lord Byron himself named Ada. So strange sync. I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. But, and, um, you've also got an Ada, this kind of like a, like this glorification of this sort of pastoral society almost. Yeah. Um, and as they describe what their life is like around Windsor Castle, you know, um, it's very similar, um, even to the extent where it's like uh, it's not incestuous, but it 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 kind it's it's pretty close to that in in this book, you know. It's like uh, everybody's like uh, so so. I'll just explain to whoever's listening. The uh, so Adrian has his sister Idris. And she ends up getting married to Verney. Adrian himself is in love with this other Greek woman. Her name is, uh, do you remember, Doug? It's not, oh. Ariad- it's not Ariadne, but something like that. Uh, oh, yeah. No, um, um, when you said Verney, it made me think of Von Veen. Like it's yeah, the same yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. word wordplay. That's right. Yeah. Um, um, and then, and then that was the, the one part that really was interested, interesting when uh, when it seemed like Raymond was cheating. I think it was Raymond. Someone was cheating, and you didn't yeah. know for certain if he was cheating or not, but it really seemed think, like he was. I think it was more of a kind of intellectual cheating, you know, like he was sharing his his soul to her more than he was to his wife, who's his wife is Perdita, who's the sister of Verney. Um, right. Um, so it's kind of it, it's all kind of combined, you know. Like uh, even towards the end, when um, so at the end, there's only the only people who are left. And this is kind of a weird coincidence too. Like I don't know how this is explainable. Um, it just so happens that the only four people who are left are Verney and then uh, and then Adrian and then. Uh, Verney's niece, who is uh, who is um, what's his name, Lord Lord Raymond's uh, daughter, uh, Clara, 
and then Vernie's son. They're the only four that are left. Like why? <laughs> why would it be them? And and then and then the uh, the the young boy dies. The son dies, and so then there's only three. And then you get this impression that they're still basically happy at this point. They're on their way to Greece um, on a boat, and you get the sense that uh, well, the only two people who aren't related here are are uh, um, Adrian and and Clara. Um, and Clara's she's becoming a woman, and you can tell that there's very close feelings between her and uh, Adrian. So it's like it, it seems like that is the hope for humanity that a line would continue like that, you know, um, which it doesn't. Um, but uh, um, so I, I don't know. It, it's, like I said, it, it's the same kind of uh, really kind of tight community of people. And when you read about uh, Mary Shelley's life, like she she called Shelley and Byron and all the and and her half sister Claire, all these people that are in Gothic, she she called them the elect. You know, um, already she had this sense that they were the uh, they're set apart from the rest of society. But the fact that only those four survived um like it's one thing if, if only vernie survived and then there's some other three random people but it's basically yeah it's just how did they survive it, it, it so it doesn't it doesn't make any any sort of real well, sense like it's, why... like it's quite a coincidence unless it's something like a like a dream or something it makes sense in terms of if if it's like a dream or a, or a fantasy or something like that was some of the stuff that I was reading was that the plague is a metaphor for the dissolution of the ideals of their age, you know. And so I didn't, I don't know enough about. I mean, I tried to read uh, a biography about Mary Shelley, and it just became so much for me to care about. There's just so many characters. Like I really was interested in in her parents. And then it was really interesting that um, – so like the uh, – you know that painting that's in Gothic, that famous one? The, right, right. Uh, they were friends with that guy. Like So like all that stuff is – you know, in that film is connected to their life. What's so fascinating is like uh, in that movie, historically, it's pretty accurate as far as um, – Oh, yeah, yeah. The events, you know, like um, – it, I mean, it was definitely stylized. I don't know that, like, so the the doctor Polyadori wrote the vampire story and the famous ghost story challenge. Um, I don't know that he really was a vampire, you know, like, or it, it they become their characters in that film. Um, well, they were all wigged out on laudanum and everything else, too. <laughs> like, uh, uh, hashish, probably, like, who knows what else they had. You know, at that time. Um. But so uh, Godwin was, you know, uh, he was a novelist. He was a, a revolutionary writer. And that's why um, he, he was the first anarchist, like this, the first self-proclaimed anarchist. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Godwin. Yeah, Godwin is great. And his his novel, Caleb Williams. Um, I don't know if you've read that, but that's that's an incredible book. And it's, I think, more like a dystopia, right? It's about, it's basically about a guy who um, gets wrongfully charged, I think, for a murder. 
and then he he tries to escape and all of england becomes like a police state um that's that's a that's a great book that's a really amazing book but he was also a bookseller, but he wasn't very good with like his finances. And so I think they were in debt frequently and he would get people write him, you know, like I'm really interested in your, your writing. And the reason why he gave uh, Percy Shelley the time of day is because he basically said, hey, I'll pay you to be your friend is what I got. You know, it's like that he, Shelley was kind of going to be his uh, patron on some level. Mm, yeah. But then, you know, he met his daughter and, and the rest is history. Yeah. He, um, it, apparently he wasn't very happy of them getting together. Like they sort of eloped and, uh, um, Mary Shelley thought that it wouldn't be a problem to her father because he's so sort of, uh, bohemian in, in anyways but it was such a big problem up until uh up until she published frankenstein and then that became a success and then it sounded like uh she, he he got on board and, and tried to help her again um, so one of the things that I, I read is that even though they they wrote about these um these philosophies or like the idea of free love and things it still was harder um to to do that in reality like it's one thing to write about it but another thing so i think um one mary so i'm I'm trying to think that maybe one maybe mary shelley was born out of wedlock maybe some some child there was a lot of wives and a lot of children um, well it's supposed to be the, her mother is mary wollstonecraft who of course is like a really really feminist powerful in her, by herself yeah. right like a, right um, and she um she tried to she, kill herself she, about she, three times she um yeah she died right after mary was born right so mary never knew her um, but uh, i i guess she had this like a powerful female figure in her past that was always there um but in apparently the they Apparently, Godwin and um, and Mary Wilsoncraft were were friends of Blake as well, right? Like, there's a whole circle with Blake, and then uh, um, some other poets and artists in London, and even even Thomas Paine, you know, was part of that circle. Aaron Burr, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say in the film, you know, this is kind of where the film. I think it's called Mary Shelley. I guess the the one with uh, Elle Fanning. I watched that. Yeah. Really enjoyed Tell it. Tell us about that one. Um, I didn't see it. I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, yeah, it's a very enjoyable but just biopic of Mary Shelley, and, and it um, covers this ground. I mean, this is the plot of the film where you start out with the, her with her father, and then the plot point is basically Byron or uh, Shelley, you know, uh, comes. Percy Blythe Shelley comes. And that's the the beginning of the film is how he wins over Mary and then they leave against the protestations of the father. And um, because Percy Shelley was married at the time and had a daughter from his first wife who then dies. And I think when that first wife dies, 
there's some kind of relief that maybe he's able to marry or that that kind of stain of the adultery is somehow removed from Percy Shelley's, uh, you know, particular, you know, biography. And then I guess Percy and Mary then can get married without that. And I think she dies pretty quickly. I don't know if it was suicide. It may have been suicide. Uh, but uh, that's the that movie. It's interesting because it just to juxtapose it with Gothic because they both cover some of the same ground. The movie with Mary Shelley, um, it starts with her Byron or sorry, Shelley winning her over and then they leave and then they go to Byron's castle in Geneva. And incidentally, oh. that Lake Geneva uh, castle or mansion what has a plaque that um, said John Milton visited here. Oh, interesting. Um, and she no, still did it. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. But uh, go he, ahead. Uh, she starts this book with a with a quote from Milton, um, like just as a uh, as an intro to this. Uh, it says, "Let no man seek henceforth to be foretold what shall befall him or his children." <laughs> That's inter- I I didn't hear that before. That Milton may have visited that place. Yeah, apparently the Wikipedia says that Milton, they put a plaque up, but then the mansion was built like 100 years later. So there's some connection because uh, the Italian, the family, the Italian family that, or Italian speaking family that was responsible for that mansion, the grandfather was like a translator. So was close with Milton. That's for sure. Uh, Whether he came to the mansion or not, that's seems to be more historically questionable but there is a plaque there that says john milton was here at the time that they were doing this seance and this is where i think thematically this kind of stuff gets interesting because just to quickly i just a few points here and i'll just and i'll step back but did you if you juxtapose gothic with mary shelley the, the mary shelley biopic is like five years ago three four years ago maybe 2017 2018 something like this gothic is from the 1980s and um, the Gothic film is basically t- what appears to me to be um, a lot of narrative invention. And it's kind of there's a lot of liberties taken. It, it becomes a horror film in and of itself where the a seance is done. This so the Gothic film starts right when they arrive at the Geneva mansion. Um, that's the beginning of Gothic. And the plot of that film is they do a seance. They call some demon into the space. And then that demon goes away. That's the plot of that film. The plot of Mary Shelley is a lot. Uh, it's basically a Mary Shelley biopic. And it's uh, Shelley gets Mary. They go to Byron's castle. She writes the book. They come back. She struggles to kind of slowly then win her name and her father helps her. That's the ending of that film. Um, but it's not like there's no demons that are conjured in the Mary Shelley biopic. The, you know, we live in maybe a more scientific scientismistic i don't know if that you know world i think here in, in 2020 you know the 20 teens where you you wouldn't portray if there's a realism that's intended with this mary shelley biopic so just to say my thematic point is that the idea of the imagination you know the doors of perception the william blake it's so much imagination based as a, this kind of highest ideal of opening the doors of human potential and that in the gothic film where they really capture that energy of this the elect this group the elect because they're there and they're basically there's all these quotes in that movie with um 
Peter, uh, the Irish actor, uh, I love him. Gabriel Byrne, uh, he's in it, which I found funny because he's also he's, in. He's Byron, her, is he? He's Byron. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Byron's basically a, a devil. You know, it's like it's, well, it's he's cloven, like, cloven foot. Yeah. You guys both watched this before before we uh, before this podcast. I did this recently. I just watched it in the last 24 hours. Yeah, thanks for sending. Oh, wow. It was great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've never seen that one. I mean, uh, I, I I watched it. Uh, con- like in in high school, I was that that was our take acid and watch a movie movie like i watched that so many times on acid it's just like it it's part of my my psyche that movie <laughs> such a uh yeah i i haven't seen it for years and years but it's like uh i i can remember almost every scene of it now but did you recognize that Polly is also the son in the sheltering sky film it's the same actor Timothy. Yeah. oh yeah and it's the same character. I mean, in a way, he plays this creepy dude that's like right. lingering in the in the corners, and he's yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very similar character. <laughs> well, that scene. Um, so you were talking, uh, SJ, about uh, the power of the imagination, right? And and that sort of romantic belief in that. And there's there's one scene in Gothic where uh, it, it really hits home. It's it's like um, there's a storm outside, and so. Shelley, the poet, um, gets out on on the roof, and I think he's I, I I can't remember he's holding something or something, but he wants to he wants to get hit by lightning, you know, and he was like, lightning is the ultimate force of the universe, and and you see this uh, bolt of lightning to destroy a tree and something, and then uh, they finally get uh, they finally get Shelley to come back in, and then and then Byron is like, um, yes, lightning something like lightning destroyed the trees, but only our imagination, only our minds can put the tree back together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge theme. And this is where I think it hits on some of the themes of our conversations together about like left hand versus right hand path. Cause when they get there, it's like this young excitement of this kind of youthful, like the imagination, the power, let's open up, let's bang everybody. Let's have, you know, this kind of, this kind of, um, you know, alternative lifestyle vis-a-vis the imagination sort of um, maybe even naive style left-hand path model. That's what I would, that's my words. But see the dark side of that is something that this film Gothic covers it just because they conjure a demon and it gets really like, um, dark it gets really um uh, what's the term when a film it's kind of it's you're seeing things that aren't based in reality i'm thinking like a Murakami novel or something there's a realism it's magical realism almost in this film but see in the mary shelley biopic they cover the same theme about the dark side of the left-hand path but in a more realistic way and so you're talking about people that have affairs jealousy miscarriage, breaking off marriages, failed loves. I mean, all of this kind of dark side of the path of imagination, quote unquote, let's call it that. I know imagination might not be the best term for what I'm describing because you can use that in a much of many different contexts. But this is why I think there's a moral tale here, at least in both of the movies. It's like in Gothic, there's this final scene where they're almost returning to God and they forsake God. And then they kind of return to this sort of they kill the demon and and Mary Shelley's story. It's like she breaks away from her fa- her father, the morals of that period with this adulterer, Shelley. And by the end, it's like it's like how she integrates back in, 
you know, and she settles into more of, it seems like, kind of polite society. But these kind of youthful bursts of the left-hand path are problematized in both of the films in an almost moralistic way, in my read. And there's one read where it's kind of like, and and it fits these themes we've been describing with Burroughs and others. So I just wanted to throw that. It's interesting, like um, in Gothic, right? Like they have this crazy night you know, when every everything like they they summon up demons and there's like uh, eyeballs on tits and <laughs> everything's going insane. Like, um, uh, awesome. but in the in the morning, it's it's all peaceful and they're and they're by the lake and it's like all it's sunny and nice and they're sitting on the grass and and then they're talking about uh, what what story did you come up with and and so Mary Shelley's talking about. Frankenstein and Polidori is talking about the story of the vampire. Um, and there are other stories that came out of that as well. Like it, um, there's a, there's a famous poem by, uh, um, Byron called darkness, which directly inspired this book last man that came directly out of that, uh, that event anyways, I don't know how many nights it was, but, uh, so it's like, even with this kind of, um, like you're saying left hand or, uh, sort of dangerous, um workings with the imagination it's like yeah what what happened the um frankenstein came out of it uh vampire which which turned into the that was a direct precursor of the of the dracula stories yeah yeah um so it's like uh all of this um great um like I, I I don't know it's it's like uh, yes they got into some dark things but it's like the the products of it it's it, they're still with us you know it's like uh, and and we still find inspiration from them you know it's like uh, so yeah for me it always goes back to uh, what Yeats said you know that like um, I always repeat it it's like uh, yeah perfection of the art or protection uh, perfection of the the person the way of the saint or the way of the uh, artist you know it's it's like uh, Art, art gets born from these sort of crazy liminal threshold moments of madness. Who are you to ask for anything more? Do you wait for your dancing lessons to be sent from Every book you take 